Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, which you will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 43 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose that way of your wisdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Mark 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Brother Fred, welcome back. It's good to see you. Lots of prayers, and to see you is an answer to prayer. So thank you for that. So we've been talking the last few Sundays about a place at the table. And if you remember, we started by looking at the passage that's found in Luke 15, where Jesus told three stories about what it means to, to care for those and to reach out to those who are lost. And he told the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And of course, we didn't talk about the lost sons. But Jesus wants for the religious people to remember that lost people, that heaven rejoices when lost people come home, that they belong at the table, that that's the reason why Jesus came. Last Sunday, we looked at a passage from the book of Matthew where we were discovering how easy it is to judge those who don't measure up to the standards that we have. Societally, they fall into a different way of life that we just say, you know, we don't want to be caught with those people because we might be stained, we might be, we might be uh, associated with them in such a way that we also become guilty. And Jesus then in his teaching says, no, 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 no. It's not, the, it's not those who are well who need a physician. It's those who are sick. They belong definitely at the table of fellowship in the presence of the Lord. And in many ways I said to you, that is the, the ministry of the congregation, the ministry of Jesus' church, 
It's not to spend time with those who are well, but it's to find those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who need forgiveness, and to invite them to the place at the table. Today, though, we want to go one more step and talk about the passage that we just heard. And in preparation for today's scripture, I spent some time reading about living conditions of children during the 18th and 19th centuries. And I'm telling you, it's pretty grim. From what I read, children living two, three hundred years ago, for children living two, three hundred years ago, it was pretty hard. It was pretty dangerous. You see, as you well know, there were no laws. There were no laws protecting children from abuse or illegally using children as workers and servants and working in, in coal mines and as apprentices. This illicit use of children in the workforce was more pronounced than ever before during the Industrial Revolution. It wasn't until 1833 that Britain passed laws making it illegal for children, listen to this, under nine to work. But when you read the, the rest of the legislation, it didn't go far enough. This legislation back then was called the Factory Act of 1833. It didn't go far enough. Because while it did offer protections for children under nine, here's what it said about older children. Children ages 13 through 18 were not allowed to work more than 12 hours a day. Now, it's well-intentioned, but it's not a solution. 12 hours a day. What that meant, that the children, mostly of the poor, it's poor children, orphans, they couldn't attend school. They couldn't have play dates. They couldn't go to church. And it was out of these conditions that Christians saw a problem that needed to be fixed that children were not at the table, and they invented Sunday school. Now, some of you know that. According to Christian History Magazine, Sunday schools were originally literally schools. There were places where poor children could learn to read. The Sunday school movement began in Britain in response to the abuse of children during the Industrial Revolution. Christians wanted these children to come to the table. They wanted these children to learn to read, to learn to do math. And the only day that was available, because all the kids, the poor kids, they were working six days a week. And many of the churches of Britain opened up their doors and started schools to provide ministry, and to provide education because they believed that when the light bulb of education goes on in a child's mind, there are no limits. I also read about the social condition of children during the Hellenistic society of the first century. Children, again, occupied a very precarious position. 
And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but sometimes, yes, children were loved sometimes, especially if you were a person of means. But oftentimes they were exploited. There's a letter that was written by a man called Hilarion. And I, I find that hilarious because the Greek word Hilarion means to be joyful. This letter was written by a man called Hilarion, and he was off on business, and he wrote a letter to his wife, and he said, if it's a boy, good. But if it's a girl, get rid of it. It. Get rid of it. It wasn't common in that time to see children abandoned. They had a disability, the wrong gender. As I was reading all this stuff, I was in my mind thanking God. I said, well, Lord, I, I, it's so good to know that we're at a different place as a society, that our culture now has laws and values supporting and defending the well-being of children. But as you know, friends, we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. And the cultures of our world, in some ways, still have not fully evolved. There is a thing called child pornography. Grown men getting arrested because of child pornography. Children are still being abused. And like many of you, I was just heartbroken on Wednesday of last week when I read about this aunt who was downtown with her three-year-old son by Navy Pier. And they were standing there looking out in Lake Michigan. And the witnesses said that all of a sudden they heard the splash and they looked down at where the woman was looking and there was a wonderful little three-year-old boy floundering in the water. And apparently the aunt just stood there. The little boy was in the water for 20 minutes. And they called for EMS workers, and they came, and they were able to pull that little boy out. And even this morning, I went online again to check up on what's been going on. This little boy is in Lurie Children's Hospital, and they're questioning whether the child will survive. We still have a long way to go. As a society, in loving and caring for the most vulnerable among us. There are people today, even in Christian communities, who refuse to have children because when they do the math, it's too much money to spend. Our text this morning is an encouraging text, and I don't want to go dark on us. It's an encouraging text. Because what we read in the text is that Jesus loves children. What we read in the text this morning is that Jesus elevates children. He elevates the worth of children. And like many of you, I grew up, because of my exposure to Sunday school, singing that little song, Yes, Jesus loves me. I grew up like many of you in Sunday school singing that little song, Jesus loves the children of the world. All the children of the world. 
And our text illustrates that in a beautiful way. And so you can picture it. The picture that we often have when we read this text is that Jesus is sitting on some large rock and he is surrounded by a group of elementary children. You know, they're just very peacefully standing around him. They're happy and Jesus is happy and he's blessing the children. But that is not how the story is presented in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Jesus is on the go. He's busy, he's teaching, he's chasing out demons, he's healing people, and the disciples are right there with him. And it just tells us that, and then he, he gave a, it's really interesting the way it's juxtaposed, the way it's, it's, it's uh, connected when you read the, the ending of that section in, in, in Matthew chapter 10 and how it opens up with the story about the children, because Jesus literally had just done talking about divorce. And we won't get into that. But I think it's important that we pause a moment and think about that, because again, that's another vulnerable class of society in that era. Women, if, if a woman was, and, and often it's the husband then who had the power to divorce the woman. And when that woman is given that writ of divorce, she suddenly becomes nameless, faceless, classless, powerless. She also is vulnerable in that society. It's just interesting after talking about one class of vulnerability among our, the human race, he then now, we're told, a group of moms and dads, parents, bring their children to Jesus, and all they wanted was so that Jesus could touch them. They weren't asking for anything other than, Jesus, would you touch my little son? Would you touch my little baby? And we're told that the disciples, like truculent bouncers, where are you going? Get back. No, no, stand aside. No, pushing, pushing back. These parents and these children who were coming just to be touched and just to be blessed. You know, what I find puzzling about this, though, is that if you read back in chapter 9, there was another children and Jesus story, and it went like this. Let me just read it for you so, you, you know, you don't have to look it up. They came to Capernaum. We talked about Capernaum last week. Jesus and his disciples came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, the disciples, what were you arguing about on the way? And they suddenly got silent. For on the way, we're told, they were arguing about who was the greatest. And then we're told Jesus sat down, and he called the 12 and said, come here, guys. And he said to them, Whoever wants to be great must first be the least of all and the servant of all. And then it says he took a little child, a little child, took a little child and placed that little child among the 12 disciples. And he says these words that we want to hear this morning. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me, welcomes not just me, but the one who sent me. So we're saying that happened in chapter 9, and here we are in chapter 10. And I've been asking myself all week as I've been reading this text over and over, what happened from that little conversation in Capernaum 
huge object lesson, and then we get now to chapter 10, and you have these big bouncers saying, get away, get away, get away from Jesus. It says to me, number one, they didn't really hear what Jesus was saying. And that kind of that gives me hope, because often I don't hear what Jesus is telling me. It also says to me that their, their behavior shows the power and the influence of culture over, over what the kingdom values are. Because even though they heard what Jesus said, still their culture, the way they view children, that took precedent over the truth. Because in their minds, they still believe that children have no status Children were supposed to be ignored, barred. There was no children's defense fund advocating for children in the first century. There was no, no Marion Wright Edelman who was there to speak up for children. If these children are going to get anywhere, if they're going to get to Jesus, they must be brought by others. Because these children, what do they have? They just have the beauty of who they are. They don't, have, they don't have credentials. They don't have power. They don't have influence. They don't have connection. Nobody to defend them against the bullies of that time. So the disciples still saw them as something to overlook. Why did they behave that way? They behave that way because I think when we read that story, it's helping us to see that discipleship and the transformed life, it is not an overnight deal. So Jesus had an amazing, amazing lesson for them. And pretty soon, a few days later, they forgot it. They walked away and they forgot it. Change the attitudes that we have, it takes time. It takes time for the good gospel to soak into our lives and into our bones until, so that we begin to live it out and we no longer follow the values of culture. And then I think other people come to the defense of the disciples and they say, Pastor Ray, chill. These people, these disciples, they didn't want to harm the kids. They didn't hate the kids. They have no problem with the parents. They were really just trying to protect Jesus. Jesus is busy. Jesus is tired. It's nonstop. You don't understand the grind. And we were just saying, let's just give Jesus some space, guys. Apparently, Jesus didn't see it that way. Because it says in the text that when Jesus heard their, and that's really what it means when they were harsh, they were disrespectful, they were stern. When Jesus heard their words, the text says that Jesus was indignant. Today we would say Jesus was ticked off. He was angry. I know that's a hard picture to see of Jesus being angry. The King James Version, I love the King James Version, it says that Jesus was much displeased. Very British, right? And what did Jesus say? Let the children come to me. I mean, literally, it means clear the way. Clear the way. Don't forbid them. Don't place any obstacles in their way. And the disciples didn't realize that's what they were doing. They failed to see, they failed to see that Jesus' ethic regarding the most vulnerable in, in culture, 
vulnerable in the world was driven by a set of kingdom values. He was not trapped by the sins of culture and its mistreatment of children. And what he says next really is just about everything I want to leave with you. What he said, said next is so important for churches like us. So important if you're a mom, a dad, if you're a grandpa, if you're a teacher, if you're a mentor. What Jesus said next is so important. He says, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Jesus, when he said these words, he was affirming the spirituality, the worth of these children. And then he took them up in his arms. And he laid his hands on them. And he blessed them. Personal story. I'm a young pastor. I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And during the worship service, my five-year-old, Jadine, with tears in her eyes, comes to her mommy and said, Mommy, I want to give my heart to Jesus. We, thankfully, didn't say, okay, Jadine, I know, okay, sit down, they're there. We didn't say, okay, well, you got to learn algebra first. We didn't say, you got to learn how to spell Mississippi first. And then we can talk about coming to Jesus. Thankfully, we that day affirmed the freedom of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of children. And that Sunday, that Sunday, Judeen with a five-year-old heart and a five-year-old brain, received Jesus as her Savior. Did she understand everything? No. Could she read? Yes, she could read. She was in kindergarten. And Jesus came to her with her kindergarten brain and somehow revealed himself to this little child. Today, my daughter is a grown, sophisticated woman in her 30s, and she still remembers that Sunday. She still talks about it. She loves the Lord. She's serving the Lord. Earlier this summer, right here in this church, after worship, I'm back at the door greeting, and I'm walking back to pick up my stuff and to head back the other way, and a little girl, Jennifer Brecca, stopped me. Literally, she was, she was on this side, and she was trying to get my attention, so I walked between the aisles, and I went over to her, between the pews, and I went over to her, and she said, Pastor Ray, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? You know, what's important is not the answer. What's important here is that her spirituality is, is, is it's, it's, it's bursting forth. She's hearing stuff. Her parents bring her to church, and she's hearing stuff, and questions are forming in this little girl's mind. Why? Let the children come to me. And I want to say to First Pres this morning, one of the biggest mistake we could ever make is to create this adult-only atmosphere. 
adult-only atmosphere. We don't want the kids around. Be quiet. Calm down. A couple of months ago, someone sent me an audio of one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And they sent it to me to listen to the sermon that he preached. And I'm listening. And then I stopped listening to his sermon because I was, I was struck by what I was hearing as this great prince of the pulpit was preaching. I heard children in the background squeals and bursts of crying and rustling and Clearly, that church was an intergenerational church. They didn't have a children's wing where they took the children over there so that the adults can do the adult thing. No, it was intergenerational. And here is this, this master of the pulpit preaching his heart out, and I'm listening to the children. And of course, I wish it was on screen because I would have loved to see, I would have loved to see what the members that morning were doing. Let the children come to me. Let the children come to me, parents. Parents, I want you to fight, fight, fight the stumbling blocks of busyness. Fight it because our children didn't grow up busy. We imposed that busyness upon them. We imposed this set of cultural values that if you're going to be something on the North Shore, you need this, you need this, you need that. You got to go here, you got to go there. You got to sign up, sign up, sign up, sign up, sign up. Fight it so that your children can come to Jesus because our children are helpless. They're dependent on adults for their life. We, our children, we give them food. We clothe them. We shelter them. We protect them. And if we fail in that way, they're going to starve. They're going to suffer. And we're going to be arrested for neglect of our children. And we should. Children rely on parents to get from point A to point B. And if they're going to come to Jesus, they need you. And whenever I have the opportunity to do a baptism, to meet with a young family, I talk to them about their spirituality. I ask them, why do you want your child baptized? Because if it's just to check a box, it's a waste of time. Parents bringing their children to Jesus. In 1980, 1992, Gene Stallings, some of you watch college football, you, you know that name, Alabama Crimson Tide, won the title in 1992 for National Coach of the Year, National Championship for Alabama, the football team of the nation that year, and everybody was congratulating him and patting him on the back. He was like a god. He was like a hero, and he was doing a news conference, and they were just pouring it on, and he finally held up his hand, and this is what he said. He said, if you want to measure my success as a man, don't look at my win-loss record. He said, look at my kids. See how well they're doing with the Lord. On another occasion, he said, he would often reference the numbers 29, 30, and 31, and he would make it clear these are not football plays. These are not lottery numbers, he said. When my kids are 29... 
and 30 and 31, I would hope that my children are godly people. I would hope that my children are having kids and they're, 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 they're leading the way. Let the children come to me. And so if you're, a, if, if, if you're where I used to be, you've got little ones, you've got kids, you've got teenagers, bring them. Bring them to church. But don't bring them because you think a little sprinkling of Jesus is going to get on them. Bring them because you want to be so filled up with Jesus because your kids are going to learn Jesus through who you are. Bring them to church with you. Bring them. And I realize some of you here are like me. I'm on the other side of it now where I can't bring them anymore. But I still pray for them. I still pray for them. I bring them to Jesus in prayer. And I'm going to ask you as a church, I want us to, to, to prioritize children in this church. And I know you do. Whenever we're raising money for something with the kids, whenever we're trying to do a backpack project, you guys come through time and time again. And I thank you for that. And I want us to keep doing that. Because these children, Jesus said it, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And you know the beautiful thing about the kingdom of heaven is that everything else is going to fade away. The only thing that will remain will be the kingdom of heaven. So yeah, yeah, encourage your kid to get the best education. Encourage them to, to do well and, and so on and so forth and get that good job so they could buy that nice house and drive that. Now, encourage all of that. But, it, but, but also remind them that it, it's, it's stamped with the word temporary, that what really belongs to them, it's not that fine car. It's not that big fancy job. What really belongs to your children and to us, it's the kingdom of God. And seek them. Help them to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. Because everything else, everything else is up for grabs. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's people say, 